Hi, I'm Paul Jay, and welcome to the Analysis.News podcast. Please don't forget, there's a donate button at the top of the webpage. Economist Polly Cleveland wrote me a few weeks ago saying she thought my guests on economic issues were not paying enough attention to the need for more taxation of the wealthy and relying too much on the ability of the Fed to create money. So I invited her on the show. So here we go. Mary Polly Cleveland is an economist focusing on wealth distribution and a longtime activist for social justice. Her blog, Economici, if I'm saying it right, pardon for the crappy Italian accent, also appears on Dollars and Cents website. She serves on the board of Dollars and Cents. And she's now an adjunct senior research scholar at Columbia University School of International and Public Affairs. Thanks for joining me, Polly. Oh, you're welcome. I'm honored. Thanks. So, so, so what was your reason for writing? Uh, you know, I've had I've been doing quite a few economic interviews, and people have been talking a lot about the big stimulus package and so on. And, I, and you were right, I thought, that we hadn't talked enough about uh, the issue of taxation. There's sort of this feeling that. The Fed can just create money, and because of the – for various factors, inflation doesn't seem to be much of an issue. Uh, so why focus on taxation? So so pick it up from there, and then we can talk about what kind of taxation you have in mind. Yes, the Fed is creating lots of money, uh, money which will eventually cause a liability for taxpayers, but we don't think about that at the moment because it's an emergency. However, the way the Fed spends that money also makes an enormous difference in what the Fed has been doing and did in 2008 was try to bail out the large banks and the large property owners. Uh, they are trying to prevent a collapse of the banking system, which would happen if it became widely known that the banks had a lot of bad investments on their balance sheets, which of course is precisely what happens in a bubble. So the Fed has been mostly trying to bail out the big banks and what the big banks do when they get the money is they use it to buy back their stock. Uh, so of course there's no inflation because the, the money is not getting spent on buying goods and services. It's being used to 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 bail out people with bad balance sheets. So yeah, not not just banks, a lot of private corporations too. Oh yeah, and a lot of a lot of big a lot of big banks and a lot of private corporations uh, who have made a lot of bad investments. I mean, I'm thinking about Boeing, which can no longer design an airplane to save its life, or to save its passengers' lives, or to save its passengers exactly. So the Fed, and in 2008, the Fed again focused on on saving the banks rather than the homeowners whose mortgages should have been written down to market and were not. So you so. You know, millions of people lost their homes in any case, but there's been a tremendous focus on what the federal government to, can do. There's only, you know, there's only the, only the federal government can create money. 
But once you get down to the state level, the, the, the states have to rely on taxes. And, you know, and if the and if the federal government at the moment under Trump certainly is not willing to help the states, what are the states going to do? Well, at the moment, Cuomo is sitting there, you know, with his fingers crossed, hoping that uh, Biden will win and that eventually there will be money to to bail out the state. But, uh, you know, we're, the states have an option. Even localities have an option. With states in trouble, it means cities are in real trouble. And all the services cities prov- provide are really at stake right now because the cities can't afford the teachers and the firemen and the cops, although some people would rather less money goes to the cops anyway. But that being said, all the social services cities provide are seriously at risk. Absolutely. I talked to a friend last night who was on the board of the MTA here in uh, New York City, and they are waiting for some 15 billion or million, whatever it is, a huge amount of money that is owed to them by the transportation department and which Trump has been holding back. And they are going to have to seriously cut back uh, the subway system if they don't get that money shortly. So you're, you are saying the state, and I guess this also applies to cities, mm-hmm. that really they should be having a far more serious look at property taxes and that, you know, as, as unpopular as it's, cla- it's claimed property taxes are. In fact, it's a very, uh, what's the word, not regressive. It's a very equitable form of taxation. Well, property property taxes are intrinsically very progressive and in fact intrinsically much more progressive than income taxes just because property ownership is so much more concentrated than uh, than receipt of income. And I had some numbers, let's see, I have some numbers up here from an article I wrote a while ago, if I can find it, there we go. The top 1% had 17% of income, 34% of net worth, and 42% of non-home wealth. That's stocks and bonds and anything else um, business property. The top 10% have 42% of income, 72% of net worth, and 80 or 81% of non-home wealth. And by the time you get to the top 20%, 57.8% of income, 84.6% of net worth, and 92.5% of non-home wealth. And it's gotten a lot more unequal since then, especially with the more recent surveys. But in any case, the, the point is that even a flat level tax on property is going to be more progressive than a tax on income because it's only hitting people who who have uh, property. And Trump, this revelations about Trump are kind of a good example where he can find ways to reduce his income through business losses to practically nothing. But he owns a lot of property. You you got it. He owns a lot of property. And there was a famous story back way back when about uh, – believe it or not, Governor Ronald Reagan of California. And Governor somebody figured out that Governor Ronald Reagan of California was paying uh, was paying no income taxes. But they checked and he had a big fat ranch and he was paying heavy property taxes on his ranch. And so if you look 
without carelessly at the data on income taxes and property taxes, you'll say, oh my God, property taxes are a huge burden on the poor. When in fact, you know, they're, they're the only taxes many rich people pay because they were, their income tax is negligible due to loopholes. And that goes for, for Trump with a vengeance because, well, he's obviously a pretty reckless and incompetent business person. So he has huge losses, which means that uh, he doesn't pay any income taxes, but I'll bet he pays all sorts of property taxes. Now, when you say a flat tax, uh, that is that going to mean that working class house owners are going to see a tax rise? Because uh, why wouldn't there be sort of a progressive rate depending on how much you own or, or some kind of uh, line beneath which there wouldn't be taxes? I know in San Francisco, they passed a measure on land transfer taxes. And uh, there was uh, property that was above a certain amount. I can't remember what the amount was. I think it might've been half a million or a million, maybe even higher. But whatever house land transfer was worth more than that got hit pretty hard. And they used it to pay for, I believe, free college for people in San Francisco. Uh, wouldn't Would you do something like that? Well, let me tell you what I would say most states do that have property taxes, which is they either exempt or postpone uh, property taxes on owner-occupied homes. Um, or their own, uh, there's a no tax uh, below a certain value, or the tax is postponed until the, per- the owner dies or sells the home. So that pretty much, in most places, protects small homeowners. Nonetheless, don't forget that you know small homeowners are better off than people who have no property. But nonetheless, you know it is it is very popular to. Uh, protect homeowners. Um, And of course, homeowners vote, which is why uh, uh, homeowners, especially single family homes, tend to be relatively underassessed, putting more of the burden on, well, like apartment buildings. But in, in, in general, again, just the fact that property taxes that property is so unequally owned makes property intrinsically. Now, something else that has happened over the years is that property taxes at the state level, or the states used to be all financed by property taxes, but property taxes have at the state level have been pretty much eliminated except for New Hampshire and replaced by sales and income taxes. The result of this transfer has been to leave school districts relying on property taxes and you get the situation where a rich district can provide good schools at low rates and a poor district can provide lousy schools at high rates and people say, oh my God, the property tax is terrible regressive tax. It's a burden on the poor. Well, that would be equally true of uh, any kind of local tax. If you had a local income tax or a local sales tax to finance schools, you'd have the you'd have the same result. Now, this is within a city. I guess it wouldn't be the same problem if you had some districts of a city uh, that had higher uh, property values. The city could decide to use some of that money in a poorer area of the city. But when you get into the suburbs. 
uh, you start getting this real inequality where the suburbs have, generally speaking, don't, don't have that much poverty. And so they, they wind up with way better schools than the inner cities. It's actually mixed. There are older suburbs now that have turned into slums. I mean, you know, some of the worst, what what was the, where where the kid was killed by the cop? Oh, God, I've forgotten the name of it. Ferguson. Ferguson-like suburbs are desperately poor because the, the property is old and crumbling. Uh, the white, middle-class, higher-income people have left. You have a substantial minority population and no way to fu- fund the local government, which is why the cops are going around arresting people for having a broken taillight. You get these awful predatory local governments trying to extract fees from from their poor residents. Uh, and, you know, you're going to have terrible schools in areas like that because the property tax base has evaporated along with the relatively well-to-do people who used to live there, which, uh, you know, is, a, is an argument as to why schools and generally public services like that ought to be substantially financed from the state level. In your article that you wrote about this, you mentioned that uh, there's an organization called Citizens for Tax Justice, which is supported by unions, mm-hmm. and they've been campaigning against raising property taxes. What's, what is their logic? Why would the unions be against this? Partly, I think it's it's a certain amount of short sightedness, but no, it's under it's understandable because from a narrow point of view, you have you know middle or upper class or not upper class, but you know middle class solid union members, the kind that we used to have lots of fifty years ago and are now a a dying species, and. You know, they have earned enough as working for General Motors or whatever to buy a nice home, uh, live in a nice neighborhood uh, and have comfortable lives and, and, you know, two weeks vacation. And what is the biggest tax that they pay by far? It's the property tax on, on their house. It comes in one awful lump every year and people hate it. Uh, it's so if you're just looking, you know, narrowly at the interest of middle class homeowners who are faced with this lump sum tax every year, yeah, they hate it. Now that can be mitigated if it were paid on a monthly basis. I mean, seriously, it's because it comes as a big, uncomfortable, unpleasant lump. But sure, you know, the union people hate property taxes on their houses. But if this is really designed as a way, as a kind of wealth tax, then there's no reason why most working class houses certainly wouldn't see a rise. In fact, if there was a serious increase in wealthy houses, property tax, it's not impossible to even lower property tax on working class housing. Where you have, uh, you know, property below a certain level being, uh, you know, owner occupied being exempt, it's not, you know, not as big a problem. But, you know, people don't like that lump sum tax and they don't and they don't have a, a a broader perspective that says, "Hey, what is the alternative? If we get rid of this lump sum tax, um, what's going to happen is what happened in California, which is you had a horrendous decline in the in the quality of the schools and of locals. This was Prop 13 back in 78, 79, uh, which 
which was was you know it was a referendum people voted for it because they said oh boy this is nice i won't have to pay all of these taxes on my house and so prop 13 rolled back property taxes froze them and California, within a few years, went from having among the best schools in the country to having among the worst. And of course, the other thing that was really wrong with with Prop 13 or was it rolled back everybody's property taxes. So it rolled back property taxes on business. It rolled back property taxes on on oil companies. There was a scandal that Standard Oil of California saved $25 million in annual taxes. Now, there's this year in California, there's something, I think it's Prop 15, which would restore the property tax on commercial property, but leave the Prop 13 freeze on on homeowners. So that would definitely be a, uh, an improvement. And I think it's probably going to pass. I don't know. Now, in your article, you talk about Cuomo uh, and, you know, one of his campaign promises was to cap property taxes. And that's, you know, kind of pushed as if it's to help out ordinary people. But as you said, it's really the wealthier you are, the more property you own. So you're going to get more affected by the tax. But why is this up to the state? Because isn't this more a city thing? Well, it's both. But well, in New York in particular, most of the power is in Albany. This is a a particular or a peculiarity of of New York State that uh, the city is virtually controlled by Albany. And this is why you've got this continuing war between Cuomo and de Blasio, because uh, Cuomo can override de Blasio pretty much whenever he feels like it. So and that's that's history that comes from the, the financial, um, you know, when New York almost went bankrupt in the 1970s and had to borrow a lot of money and the price of having to borrow all of that money was that the state essentially got almost total control over the city. How does the this property tax proposal differ from uh, Elizabeth Warren or Sanders wealth tax or does it differ? I, I think it differs very substantially. They are all proposing taxes on personal wealth. And if you think that there is a problem with taxes on income, with identifying people's income, self-reporting people's income, uh, which is very easy for salaried people because, you know, it's all in the, in the, the business records, but, you know, big you know, the the billionaires or even the multimillionaires are already avoiding a lot of taxes through real estate loopholes, but through putting their money in the Bahamas or, or in Panama or wherever else. So wealthy people are already avoiding a lot of income taxes through various devices. And now you think if you have a personal wealth tax that they aren't going to manage to hide, they're already hiding their wealth in the, in the Bahamas. So the difficulty of fairly taxing wealthy people is multiplied if you're trying to tax their wealth as opposed to their income. So, you know, it's it's a nice idea. I'm I'm all in favor. I don't think as a practical matter, it's going to be very easy to do because because of the 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 loopholes and the and the hidden wealth.
I, I've always thought the the most effective wealth tax, and this is before I read your piece on property, which is persuasive. But one way to get at the wealth is through inheritance taxes. I I I did a look once at Wisconsin when the when the protests were taking place and when people had occupied the national the legislature in Madison and and I looked at the number of billionaires on the Forbes billionaire list that live in Wisconsin. And I looked at the size of their fortunes and what would likely be the inheritance and looked at what the inheritance taxes had been, even just like in 1990, if you went back to there. And that the, the amount of money that would have been recouped by was the state of Wisconsin, the state share of the uh, tax in 1990, was not only enough to pay off the annual deficit, but the entire debt of Wisconsin, never mind uh, just paying off the increased health care costs, which is what they were trying to unload on public sector workers at the time. Uh, it, it, what, what's your view on the estate tax? Because I never quite understand why that doesn't get more attention amongst progressive economists. I mean, I am all in favor of restoring the te- the estate tax back to the levels it used to be. In fact, uh, as part of, well, I'm a member of United for a Fair Economy, and there is a project called Billionaires for Bush, and we testified and we marched and we and we dressed up as billionaires for Bush to, uh, you know, protest cuts in the estate tax. However, the same ob- objections uh, to a wealth tax, to a personal wealth tax also uh, apply to an estate tax. If you're moderately wealthy, yes, you're going to have to pay an inheritance tax to have that your whatever property you have titled to switched over to your heirs if you're moderately wealthy. If you're super wealthy, you go, you know, again, your wealth is, is, is hidden in the Bahamas or Panama or wherever else, and you can manage to transfer that wealth to your heirs just fine without it having to go through probate. So, you know, yes, let's, let's, uh, let's increase the the estate tax, but don't expect it to to get very much out of the super billionaires. But I think back in the day when the estate taxes were much higher, a, a quite a, a lot of money. I can't remember the numbers I was looking at in Wisconsin, but it was a significant amount of money because there's only so much you can hide, especially if you're uh, you know own shares. Uh, you've put money into some of the big asset managers like BlackRock. Uh, I mean, a, a lot of the billionaires de- depend on what they have in the U.S., n- not just property, uh, so, but especially uh, in the stock markets and such. Well, I think they hide a lot more than 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 you imagine. Don't forget, if you have assets again in the in Panama or wherever, whatever little tax shelter, uh, you can borrow against those assets and live very well without having your wealth, the titles to your wealth, be in the United States. Now, you've got to be super rich to do that. But for whatever it's worth, it's illegal if you don't declare it, right? I mean, Americans have to declare global income. It doesn't matter where it is. Yeah, but do they have to declare their and, – and they don't declare it because it's, it's, it's hidden and they borrow against it. 
you know, this is wealth and they borrow against this wealth uh, in order to pay their bills and, and uh, pay the property taxes on their five houses. Uh, you know, you can live very well while keeping your assets as it were, semi-hidden uh, on the Isle of Man. That's another nice tax shelter. I guess the point is you can do both. I mean, you can do property taxes and there's no reason not to also do estate taxes. And raise the income tax rates for Pete's sakes. Yeah, again, even just back to levels they were, you know, 20 years ago and law and, and further. Uh, the, uh, the allergy against paying taxes or on taxing wealthier people seems to be going away. Uh, at least it's less than it was. I know uh, probably the majority of Republican voter people that just don't want to pay higher taxes. But I think the majority of people get that it's now it's really necessary that wealthy people should pay more tax. Bernie Sanders has certainly had a lot of influence in that. I mean, I, I don't, I've never liked this term fair share because I don't think there's anything fair about a system that has billionaires, period. I agree. But that being said, uh, there's, it seems to be much more popular. I mean, Biden has said that, he, that he's going to reverse the uh, Trump tax cuts. He'd better. Uh, although he should go further than that. I think this was partly a, a a Reagan effect. I mean, you know, Reagan's statement about uh, the the most terrible thing is what the, the, the sound is what I'm here from the government and I'm here to help you. So there's been uh, a, you know, decades of Republican efforts to damage the credibility of government. And I'm and I'm afraid some of the, you know, leftists haven't helped with that. I I mean, you know, Nader, I worked for Ralph Nader, and we were always after these government agencies who were selling out to the people they were regulating. So we've had a good, you know, 40 years of growing distrust of government. And that helps make people reluctant to pay taxes because, you know, they're they're taking my money and they're wasting it or they're taking my money and they're spending it on lazy people who don't need it or whatever. So there's been this whole history of, of you know, government is just taking our money and wasting it. And I think, I think that's changing and certainly people are willing to tax the wealthy. Well, I, it comes down to, I think you said something earlier, it comes down to what do you do with the money and uh, taxing for what? And there's good reason not to trust government uh, because government has been so submissive to finance and corporate interests. But if government actually, but when well, you see it, even when there people are, who voted for Trump are interviewed and talk about how much they like Medicare and things like that. So, I mean, people get it when it actually does something for them. Well, people are you know, more supportive of local government, at least certainly. I mean, my, my daughter is very active. She lives in Mamaroneck and she's on the, the zoning board and she is very active um, at this point, getting out the vote up in her neck of the woods. But... Uh, if people people are more responsive if they know who the who the local officials are and know what they're doing this is one of the effects of big tech and the monopoly has been to destroy local newspapers because all of the advertising now goes to amazon rather than uh, allowing local merchants to advertise so so there's been a tremendous loss of information about the good things that local government is doing. I mean, one of the critiques of a higher property tax is that at least when it comes to a commercial real estate, especially apartment buildings and such, 
that if the property taxes go up, the rents are just going to go up. Is that is that true? No, it's not. Though it, it seem it would seem so because you know when the when the city when the city is booming, the rents go up and so do the property taxes. And look, I used to be a landlord. My my husband and I had these two little bitty apartment buildings on West 68th Street. We had like less than 20 apartments. But if you raise the rent, what do you tell the tenant? Oh my God, my property taxes have gone up. I mean, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't help it. I have to raise your rent. Uh, but what happened in 2008, the property taxes continued to go up and the rents plummeted. So the rents are pretty much determined by demand and demand is higher in the summer, lower in the winter, greater in on the Upper West Side, um, you know, much less in poorer neighborhoods. Uh, you know, it, rents are almost entirely determined by demand. And, uh, you know, the, you have to pay your property taxes even when your apartment is empty. Right. And if, if the, just because of property taxes, rents just go up, uh, it just can may push people into neighborhoods which are cheaper, uh, more affordable, which creates less demand in the neighborhoods that are more expensive. So maybe the rents may even have to come down a touch, be, even if taxes go up. Oh yeah, I mean you can you can have taxes going up rapidly even as rents go rents go down or vice versa. One of the sad things that happens actually is when neighborhoods decline, as happened historically, you know, in Bronx, Brooklyn, some of the poorer areas, the city is very eager to keep up its tax collections, so it does not lower the property taxes even as the rents fall when a neighborhood declines, and then you get a vicious circle leading to the abandonment of buildings. It's not as bad as it used to be, but that that's what happens when the city fails to reassess or lower the assessments in a declining neighborhood. Uh, it, it pinches the landlords to the point that some of them actually abandon. Okay. I, I rarely do an interview about economics where people don't write in and object or disagree with something my guest has said. In fact, this is how this interview began because Polly wrote in. And I'm sure some people are going to write in and disagree with Polly. So if you come over to the website, if you're listening on one of the podcast platforms, uh, theanalysis.news, uh, and if you do have, you want to engage Polly, then write some comments and she'll respond to you and we can keep this conversation going. Thanks for joining us, Polly. Oh, thanks so much. And thank you for joining us on the analysis.news podcast. And don't forget the donate button over on the website. Thanks again. Mm -hmm.